Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. So welcome to Cybersecurity Where You Are. I'm honored today to have Jeff Hale from CISA with us and also Lou Robinson from the Elections Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center. Jeff, Lou, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Um, Jeff, I wonder if you could just do a brief introduction to yourself and your role as Director of uh, Election Security Initiative at CISA. Thank you. Um, yeah, happy to. Again, I'm Jeff Hale. I lead the Election Security Initiative within the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, our job is really to serve as the nation's risk advisor. So we're uh, trying to focus on how, how do we take that, um, uh, those security decisions, uh, that one part of, uh, of election officials' jobs uh, and the private sector's jobs, and how do we help make that as easy as possible on them? Fantastic. Thank you. And doing such a great and wonderful job as well. Uh, Lou, uh, introduction from you as uh, Vice President of Election Operations. Well, thank you, Sean. Thanks for the opportunity for being here today. And certainly, uh, Jeff, it's a pleasure to be here on this podcast with you. Now, I joined uh, CIS at the end of September of uh, 2020 after a career in the Secret Service uh, and joined the, the CIS and the EII SAC team as the VP of Election Operations. So, our um, our role at the EII SAC is to work with partners like Jeff, our friends at uh, NAS and NASED, um, and our election community partners to provide cyber training, cyber information sharing, and threat intelligence and training so that they can provide safe, secure elections to their jurisdiction. Fantastic. Thank you, Lou. I want to start the discussion uh, by really talking about, you know, critical infrastructure, uh, again, specifically elections infrastructure, requires both, you know, a technical and a physical controls, right, in order to make them secure. So what made the 2020 election the most secure election in history? Uh, let me reflect that to Jeff first. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, but it's not a statement that, that, that FISA can make on our own. This election was the most secure because of the immense amount of work done by state and local election officials, by private sector partners, the intelligence community, law enforcement, the Election Assistance Commission, uh, NAS, NASA, uh, Lou mentioned them, and of course, all the work that the EIISAC is doing. I mean, we've never seen the amount of people, resources, capabilities, all being mobilized to identify and detect risks and threats to the election infrastructure that we saw in 2020. And things like the ISAC Situational Awareness Room, the sharing of intelligence across the community, it was unparalleled for other elections. So uh, endpoint detection, intrusion detection, uh, malicious domain blocking reporting. And Lou, I'm sorry if I'm taking your, your, your talking points, but, but it was really a whole of community uh, aimed at be better being able to uh, identify, detect, protect, respond, recover uh, than, than ever before. Like, one of the kind of unspoken items is really the amount of uh, of auditability that, that advanced in this election. More than 93% of votes had a corresponding paper record. Uh, along with the audits and the recounts, we had a, a high level of confidence in asserting the security of 
the 2020 election. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, from the benefit of being able to see that from our position, I mean, just phenomenal uh, coordination, information sharing. It was uh, absolutely incredible. Lou, I, I want to open it up to you as well uh, for your perspective uh, on the uh, the initial uh, response to and from the technical capabilities and controls uh, that were put into this election uh, and making it so secure. Well, thanks, Sean. And, and Jeff, did still move my thumb under, but I'll, I'll piggyback on what he said. And, you know, I mentioned in my intro that I joined, you know, CIX as the VP of election operations uh, in the EI tech just a few weeks before the election. And after a, a career in the Secret Service and our hallmark there in our protective mission is involving providing physical and technical controls to provide that secure environment for the president, vice president. You know, and those physical controls and those technical controls are great. And they're a vital piece of, of ensuring success. But as Jeff mentioned, it's that collaboration of people and partnerships in developing those operational security plans that uh, is what makes you successful on top of those controls. And that's what I observed in those few weeks before the election was the amount of work, the amount of strong partnerships and efforts that were there to address recognize and address the cybersecurity gap. And then what did we do to fill those gaps? What tools were there? And Jeff mentioned audibility and having backups and so forth to to overcome these challenges to secure the election. I, I tell you that the, the stakeholders, I was extremely impressed with everybody um, in the election community, whether you're federal, state, and local, with the amount of effort they put into it. Very impressive. And I think all that effort into making our election systems you know, less vulnerable to malicious activity, um, you know, led to that success. Obviously, there are a lot of cyber threats and so forth that were out there. And that information was disseminated quickly across the community. I know we'll talk a little bit later about that. But all those things together. And, and I just want to highlight that I truly believe, as Jeff said earlier, that partnership, that collaborative effort led to all the success with every other, all these other areas we talked about. So I think for me, the takeaway was, you know, having that, Collaborative effort is what made us successful. Not one tool, not one person, not one group, but that collaborative effort. Absolutely. No, I mean, I honestly, couldn't agree more. Uh, as mentioned previously, so one. So then, I want to take it to another level. In order to engage that level of coordination, um, what was enabled to allow that security really across the country to be done in such a coordinated fashion? And you know, what steps did we take to enhance both communication? And then underlying that, the threat intelligence uh, to the state and local entities. Uh, Lou. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I think, again, to tie back, we just talked about that close coordination that the EII tech has with CISA and the federal law enforcement intelligence community to provide election officials and their technical teams with factual and up-to-date you know, cyber threat information, cyber event analysis, and cyber education materials in support of their very important um, task of conducting elections. I mean, certainly we utilize our Cyber Threat Intelligence Digest, our EISAC News Alert, uh, our EISAC Spotlight, to share this information with our membership. And we coordinate with CISA quite regularly to ensure that any threat intelligence uh, product that they produce is also provided to our membership, adding value to them. You know, we review the current threats uh, at our quarterly membership meetings. Uh, we also facilitated during this election impromptu cyber threat information sharing uh, meetings utilizing uh, web conferencing uh, platforms. You know, again, getting that real-time information out there in the hands of, of our our community partners to be actionable information for them. 
And uh, Jeff mentioned earlier also, you know, the cybersecurity situation awareness room that we have. Basically, you think of it as a, a jock, a joint operations center or a multi-AC coordinating center you hear about or security operations center. Essentially, that's what it is, but it's in cyberspace and we operate that. You know, in the in the days leading the weeks and days leading up to uh, a primary election and during the general election, and that room allows for all the stakeholders involved in the election community to share information. What's going on in their jurisdictions? You know, what are we seeing across the country? And to be able to provide the situational awareness, you know, what they may be seeing in California, maybe seeing in Georgia, and again, bringing that awareness piece to what's going on and be able to to counter any threats that are out there, or at least disseminate that information on those threats. And again, it's a key information sharing piece that we have, and it allows, again, for that situational awareness so that uh, these folks can be successful in their mission. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, understood. So, Jeff, you know, kind of reflecting a, a similar question is, um, what did it take to enable that coordination, as it were, to bring in state and locals and, uh, you know, really the 8,000 kind of jurisdictions around managing elections? It's uh, a monumental task that was done so well. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, as, uh, I mean, it all starts with recognizing that it, it is state and locals uh, who run elections. And, and our job is to, uh, as best as we can, empower them to make as many uh, prudent security decisions as possible. Uh, each local election is run slightly differently, so we had to put a lot of effort in uh, to understand how everyone runs their elections and where we can add value to them. Uh, CISA fortunately has a fantastic field staff, uh, so across the country uh, where elections are being run, we have uh, individuals uh, who focus on uh, assisting stakeholders with their cybersecurity, with their physical security, with understanding their risk decisions, and that's really where we started to make inroads across the country with how CISA can, can add value. Yes, there's a level of cybersecurity services, uh, vulnerability scanning, remote penetration testing, risk and vulnerability assessments uh, that provide a, bunch, uh, a lot of value themselves, but no one would take advantage of them if they only sat here in Washington. It's about how do we get out to election officials uh, and help them tailor their security practices. Um, the reporting environment that, that evolved because of establishing those relationships is really where a lot of the gains were made. As, as Lou referenced, things like this, uh, the Situational Awareness Room and, and others, it became a bi-directional information sharing. Uh, and that's something that in 2016 really didn't exist with the election community. And this enabled uh, what I think is one of the major successes of the 2020 election was the speed of intelligence sharing. Uh, in response to Iranian cyber actors. Uh, local election officials uh, received reports from their constituents of intimidating emails. They reported this up to CISA, they reported this to the ISAC. We were quickly able to get this to our intelligence community partners, and it took only 27 hours to move from this was being reported to us uh, for attribution, information back out to the election community, um, and ultimately information out to the public that Iranian cyber actors had taken steps uh, to try to influence behavior around the election. So um, I think it's night and day compared to where we were in 2016, the amount of information sharing and the security practices that that enables. Oh, 100%. I mean, thinking about, you know, the the evolution, as it were, of the processes from 2016 to 2020 have 
completely allowed this capability to be enhanced and part of the process. And, and you would, you know, looking at 27 hours from an initial indicator all the way to really a resolution and a management of that misinformation is, um, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, it just it really points to the fact of how effective the processes were that we engaged with. Fantastic. So uh, again, we've we've worked with sto- state and local entities. Um, one of the things I did want to mention about is um, our engagement with external organizations. Um, you know, we've got the National Association of Secretaries of State, or NAS, the National Association of State uh, Election Directors, or NASAD, the Election Assistance Commission, EAC, the Election Center, the International Association of Government Officials, IGO, I mean, a number of acronyms, but I mean, all great um, external partners and organizations. How did we engage with them from a stakeholder perspective to gather their input to influence the approach to uh, election security? Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, your thoughts there? Well, thank you. Uh, Because elections infrastructure is critical infrastructure, we get to take advantage of some of the um, coordination bodies that come with that. So we have what's known as a government coordinating council. And so this has representatives from um, secretaries of state, state election directors, local election officials uh, who help us, who basically help to advise us on how CISA can help them secure their systems. So we're receiving perspectives uh, from the state and local level uh, about what would be useful. We're also to then take the intelligence-driven strategic risk prioritization to this forum and say, look, ransomware is a plague across uh, county governments. It's, it is only a matter of time before it impacts elections. How do we get ahead of this? And so working with these individuals, along with partners like the EIISAC, uh, we're able to help reduce risk or, or increase the readiness across the, uh, the stakeholder environment. Uh, kind of in a huge collaborative way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's great to see that capability being enhanced and adopted as part of these processes because it allows, again, the way I think about it is uh, multiple people thinking about this, obviously people engaged um, and with great information that can be provided to us in order to then influence these approaches that allow security to be really the heart of these problems and solved in terms of what we saw in 2020. So I think that's that's phenomenal uh, in what we did. And uh, again, just respect, uh, just uh, to these organizations, a lot of great information and coordination. Uh, Lou, I, I want to reflect really the same question to you. Uh, and from your perspective, from the EIISAC, uh, the engagement and then the influence of uh, uh, stakeholders uh, on the election security process. Okay, this, these groups, the NAS, NASDAQ especially, and Jeff mentioned the, the GCC, I mean, these groups play a vital role in election security, and especially for the EISEC, because if it wasn't for NAS and NASED and, and DHS and others, they helped to form the EISEC in 2018. So without them, we wouldn't be here to provide, you know, the services that we do to the election community, um, and many of the services we mentioned. Um, and a key also, I think, with, with NAS and NASED and the others is they provided guidance to us and help us grow as an ISAC over the last uh, two and a half, you know, come about three years. And I think that's, again, I don't think we can underscore uh, or make light of that, how important they are to the EISAC. And, and we really truly do value their input. 
uh, based on uh, the feedback they get from their members. Um, it's instrumental to us to provide that information and get that in our hands so that we can develop those tools and resources back out to the membership. Um, I think also that NAS and NASED realize the importance of, you know, the, their members becoming, you know, EISEC members. So they truly do, you know, push the membership uh, and the value that being a member of the EISEC is. I mean, it allows them then to you know, implement the available cybersecurity tools and best practices that are there that we have, you know, uh, within CIS. And certainly, you know, with Jeff and his team, the information that they have that they provide us that we put out to the members. So, you know, I, again, I don't think we can minimize the role that those organizations play and how important and influential they are in uh, election security. Yeah. No, I think the influence and then, uh, you know, the value proposition, as you mentioned, is uh, it's just great to be able to work, obviously, establishing the elections infrastructure um uh, has really been uh, a, such a positive uh, from 2016 again to 2018. And again, from that perspective as well, and you know, the one of the big issues that, that I had seen and that, you know, obviously was reported, a major concern for 2020 was misinformation. And so I wanted to understand, you know, some of the strategies and techniques that were applied to manage this underlying issue and risk. Uh, Lou, um, what were your thoughts and, and what was done in that space? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Again, I'm going to highlight the work that uh, our folks did here in the EISEC with the election officials, um, NAS and NASED and Jeff's team and others at CISA to facilitate, you know, developing a system where these folks are, uh, and our election officials, our partners, have the ability to report misinformation um, during the 2020 uh, election cycle. So our team began nearly a year ahead of the 2020 election in developing this plan and the techniques to address misinformation. We implemented a misinformation reporting system that allowed the election officials to report a case of election infrastructure misinformation to the ISAC, you know, that impacted their respective uh, areas. So we serve as that single uh, source that they could rely on and report this information to, regardless of the social media platform in which it appeared. Now, this reporting uh, stream helped to expedite and enhance the process by which local election officials you know, alert, <clears throat> excuse me, alerted social media companies to misinformation and disinformation. They allowed those social media platforms to investigate these claims and then give that information back to us so that we then could provide meaningful feedback to election officials on the status of the reports. I mean, the, the system you know, facilitated you know, the information sharing between officials and it allowed, again, I, I, we talked about the hidden situation uh, room. Same could be said with the misinformation. It allowed us to see trends and patterns and be able to coordinate, you know, across different areas of the country. You know, if somebody, again, I'll use that California, Georgia example. You know, they're seeing something in California and Georgia. You've got that, that connectivity, you know, and communication between the two through the ISAC so that they knew what to look out for in their respective jurisdictions. And certainly, you know, Jeff and his team, if things were reported to, you know, CISA, you know, they would direct it over to us. And again, we work in partnership, but we're using those terms collaboration partnership a lot. And, and they're key throughout every question you're asking is to have that partnership and allow for those resources to be put into place to address misinformation. And we, we learned a lot of good things in 2020 uh, with that system that will help us to improve that process to address misinformation in future election cycles. So very positive uh, thing moving forward. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, Jeff, you know, I guess the um, the way that we're interconnected and the management then of this, the capability to reach a number of people and really disseminate misinformation, given our social media uh, infrastructure and things of that nature. Um, how do you feel that the techniques and the strategies were applied and um, what benefits did we gain from that uh, from 2020 uh, that was put in play? Oh, I, I think we learned a lot. Um, a lot of what Lou just described uh, really focuses on when those artifacts are raised to our stakeholders, when when local election officials hear uh, from their constituents uh, about um, misinformation about their the systems that they administer. Uh, but a lot of this work also starts well in advance uh, of those operations, the the days, the weeks uh, of voting periods, um, and when those disinformations are at their most acute. Um, we're in the business of inoculating uh, both the community and the public to risks of mis and disinformation uh, against um, that, that impacts uh, election infrastructure. So. Uh, we've done a lot of work on media literacy. We've done a lot of work to really reduce the demand of uh, uh, of the American public for to engage with disinformation uh, narratives. Um, some of this we've released graphic novels. Uh, we did an earned media campaign using the divisive issue of pineapple on pizza uh, in order to uh, to show the tactics, educate the public and risk awareness on the tactics employed in uh, a disinformation campaign that's really used to to move and influence decision making. We have disinformation stops with you infographics. We also recognize all too well that DHS and CISA are not always the best voice to be countering uh, misinformation and disinformation. So uh, we've partnered with many organizations to help them understand how their communities are being targeted um, by this risk uh, and help empower them with toolkits uh, to have better awareness in the identification uh, and risk reduction of mis and disinformation. Um, we hope to continue to kind of build upon those uh, the, those successes. Obviously, uh, a disinformation environment uh, really can undermine the confidence in the institutions. Uh, so this is an area where there's a lot of work to continue to do um, between 2021, 2022, and then the next presidential cycle. I think, as you mentioned, you know, it's lessons learned and the maturation of these processes, under, understanding the strategies, techniques, and things of that nature really go to help. And obviously, we've seen the the benefit of that from 2016 moving into 2020 and being able to use that really the underlying telemetry and uh, uh, manage those programs appropriately in terms of then influencing positive change, uh, as it were. Fantastic. Great. So, um, you mentioned, you know, guidance and literacy has been provided. Um, in a lot of cases, the way I saw it, there was many best practice materials provided um, for securing elections and thinking about elections and misinformation and things of that nature. What efforts um, were really put in place to help assist state and local election offices with implementing uh, the best practices and really the underlying controls? Uh, Jeff? I think you raised a, what almost became its own challenge. Uh, we went from a potentially a lack of information available to overwhelming stakeholders with different best practices um, and, and guidance, um, and find resources here, free resources there. Uh, it became a bit of its own denial of service. Uh, so again, we leaned on those relationships established, both through NAS, NASED, uh, Election Center, 
through CISA field staff uh, in order to um, help mature uh, the security practices of the sector. Uh, what your the conversations your the security conversations you have with an Orange County uh, or Los Angeles County are vastly different than um, small to mid-sized counties uh, that have a different resource level. So uh, we needed to be responsive uh, to help um, particularly smalls and mids uh, tailor their their security practices uh, to their needs. Uh, we had one initiative, which we called the Last Mile Initiative, which was really to tailor guidance uh, in the form of, uh, of a poster, but it was, it was much more than that. It was um, uh, a coordinated effort to prioritize different activities, security activities to help establish the controls and practices that would address the threats uh, as we saw them in the 2020 cycle. And we were able to give, uh, we were able to produce 7,000 uh, tailored products uh, across more than 5,500 local jurisdictions uh, in advance of 2020. We viewed that as a success. Uh, we need to continue that type of thing. When, when you have more than 8,000 jurisdictions, uh, we, there's obviously room for us to grow, uh, but it is about understanding those needs and finding out uh, what value we can add to them through, through security practices, guidance, training, exercises, um, and then providing that as best we can. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think obviously great efforts. And as you mentioned, there was a kind of a deluge, uh, just given the importance of 2020. Um, Lou, in respect to that, you know, obviously we've provided best practice guidance, obviously through the EII sec, um, you know, what were we doing to contribute to the effort to inform and provide those best practices to state and local elections officials? Yeah, Sean, thanks. Um, we just covered a lot of ground there and, um, you know, a lot of great information. But just to, to piggyback a little bit on what we did in yeah, ISAC, again, since our founding, and just mentioned all the guidance materials and so forth out there, and you mentioned it, Sean, you know, our election best practice handbook was published, the election procurement guidelines and non-voting system best practice guide. So, and we've also incorporated, you know, these best practices and things we've learned through the guidance and some things that Jeff talked about into the information, again, that we share with our ISAC members through the communication products I, I mentioned earlier, our news alerts and our spotlight and so forth. So um, I just want to highlight, too, that many of the states have taken that guidance that's uh, been published uh, and have used a variety of methods to help local election officials implement these best practices. You know, the ones that I mentioned and that Jeff mentioned. So, you know, the states have either uh, implemented or established a cyber navigator program or utilized contractors to go out and work with their local election officials and assess where are they at with their cyber um, security, their maturity, you know, their level of implementing all the best practices that are out there. And then they've used this information to help funnel federal funding to these local election officials to address these gaps in cybersecurity. As, as Jeff mentioned, there's a lot of things out there and a lot of uh, teamwork that was done to help identify where those local election officials need that assistance. And taking these guidance and working with the states and all the different partners who have helped us do that. Um, and again, I, I see that continuing through the future, not only for what we did in 2020, but in election cycle going forward, continuing to refine that information, continuing to help them implement these, um, these controls and cybersecurity best practices. Yeah, absolutely, Lou. Uh, and it kind of leads me to um, 
as we've developed these practices, we've seen where it worked. We've seen where, as you mentioned, you know, it's uh, one size does not fit all uh, in a lot of cases from Jeff uh, in your discussion. And one of the things I'm, you know, I'm thinking about as we look to the future, as we look to 2022 and 2024, you know, what are some of the lessons learned that we've gained through 2020 up until now, obviously, um, uh, this takes time to mature and build these underlying programs and processes. Well, what can we expect to see, Lou, in 2024 as future enhancements uh, from the EII SEC and our work with the elections community? Yeah, I think um, I'm leading. I think our team here at the EII SEC, and coming out of 2020, that um, you know, we've established a very, very good baseline response preparedness to the threat. You know, but these threat actors will evolve in their methods and tactics. And the cybersecurity tools and processes and information sharing processes that we have will need to stay one step ahead of the threat actor. You know, we'll need to continue to develop and provide cybersecurity uh, packages to those election officials and under-resourced or whether they're under-resourced, whether it's uh, human capital or in funding um, streams. So as we look ahead, uh, we'll work on cybersecurity enhancements and securing non-voting technology such as the e-poll books and voter registration systems and securing supply chain for election vendors. And we've already begun some of that work in the EI SAC, working with our partners in the area of our RAPID-V program, the Rapid Architecture-Based Election Technology Verification Program, you know, verifying that these uh, programs are keeping pace with the threats that are out there. And also we recently um, published our supply chain risk management for election technology providers, helping those election technology providers, you know, secure their, uh, think about securing their supply chain and the vulnerabilities that are there. You know, we've talked about this and disinformation as well. I mean, that's going to continue to be a threat over the next four years. And we certainly have an opportunity, you know, to work with Jeff and his team and all the other election community partners in that to educate the public, to continue to work through in the public service announcements, like Jeff said, and the different programs that they had, you know, to educate the public on the voting process and procedures in their respective jurisdictions. As Jeff mentioned, they're, they're different across the country, but I think a, a strong coordinated education program will help us in that area. You know, also, I mentioned earlier, work with our partners to fine tune that reporting process to address, you know, election-based myths and disinformation. I think also, I've talked a lot about partnerships and collaboration. It's going to be critical to continue to build on those partnerships to ensure that we maintain our focus on the threats facing elections. Uh, being prepared and maintaining that preparedness going forward will be key to our continued success. Yeah, absolutely, Lou. I completely agree. So I see um, um, as we move and as we approach what the lessons learned, as it were, from 2020, I think there's opportunity, uh, obviously, for improvement. There's opportunity to enhance the capabilities that we've uh, demonstrated in 2020. Uh, and so I think it's just uh, it's exciting to see uh, where we're going uh, and what we're doing. Uh, so, Jeff, I, you know, to give uh, really from a conclusion perspective to this um, uh, podcast is, uh, what can we expect to see, uh, you know, in 2022, 2024, uh, from your eyes, your perspective, uh, uh, from the election uh, security initiative? Thank you, Sean. I, I actually love this question because it allows us to reflect that uh, 2020 was a tremendously secure election, and we still saw multiple nation states active in this space, uh, active cyber targeting, uh, active disinformation campaigns, um, 
In 2016, the answer was largely Russia. Uh, the recent intelligence community report describes activities from uh, Russia, Iran, China in different capacities. We, we've established a new normal. Like As long as uh, election infrastructure touches the internet uh, and relies on the trust of the American people, it is a target, a high value asset that we have a business to help our partners secure. Um, so we're looking forward to, to again, pushing down uh, security practices and security resources uh, across local jurisdictions uh, to help to add value where possible. We think there's uh, a way to help build the body of evidence that reduces the impact of disinformation on this sector. Um, some elements like moving to trusted domains, we believe that .gov is a way to help uh, reduce the effectiveness of proxy sites, spoofed accounts, um, uh, and help uh, re-establish the trust between election officials and the public uh, in this important community. Uh, we think that increasing the amount of exercises, incident response planning, really focusing on readiness uh, is going to really uh, drive benefits for, for the elections in 2021, 2022, uh, and again, the presidential in, in 2024. Uh, I love that Lou described the other aspects, the other components where risk exists um, across the process of administering elections, um, engaging ballot printers, uh, engaging uh, ballot programmers, uh, uh, better security practices around e-poll books and, and supply chain, uh, better security practices around uh, voter registration, uh, the security of voter registration information, wherever it resides, not just in the database, but all of its dependent systems. Um, there's plenty of opportunity to continue to secure this sector, uh, and uh, we've certainly got our work cut out cut out for us. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when you you know you kind of um, in some cases when I first uh, entered into the space, it was oh, securing an election seems like a simple process, but when you're thinking about the number of jurisdictions, no one seems to be the same in terms of underlying processes, and then all the underlying non-voting technology plus the voting technology. Um, really provides such a, uh, a challenge and being able to do that through the processes you've mentioned and future enhancements, uh, I think is uh, it's uh, a challenge that I think we're all uh, willing to take on and stand up against to, to manage both our democracy and freedom, uh, as it were. Uh, Jeff, I just want to get, um, as we conclude, some final thoughts uh, on the space uh, and what we've been discussing about. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, first, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Um, it's a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I believe that the, that election officials across the country have proved themselves to be real heroes in 2020. This was a tremendously difficult election to administer. We haven't even covered the challenge of COVID-19 and the way they responded uh, under these extreme circumstances. But truly, uh, what an impressive job. Uh, what an impressive job to be able to demonstrate uh, the security and the auditability of their systems in this. Uh, so we're looking forward to the next four years of continuing to push uh, on, on promoting and empowering election officials uh, and the security of their system as best possible uh, from, our, uh, from our federal position. Fantastic, fantastic. It's great to hear. It's great to hear. And Lou, um, any final comments uh, from you for our listeners? Yeah, uh, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Jeff, for joining us. Uh, I've enjoyed it today. And I think um, what, what Jeff 
just said, it really struck me, is that our local election officials truly are heroes. So I think a lot of folks seem to forget that a lot of those election officials, they're not only doing elections, they may be recorder of deeds and wear many, uh, many other hats within their county, their local jurisdiction. And elections are just one piece of it. And for them to to go from where they were in 2016 to 2020 and to put that focus on that security, and many of them, again, are not technically savvy, and to be able to jump right in there and work with their partners, you know, work with the ISAC, work with uh, CISA and Jeff's team at, at ESI and others, I think kudos to them. My hat's off to them for the work they've done. And, and I know that in my conversations with them since the election, they are pumped and ready to go to maintain the, the, the scale that we're at and to continue to move forward and to do the fantastic work that they're doing in ministerial elections. And again, come back to talk about the partnerships. They really, truly enjoy the partnership they have with CISA. They truly enjoy the partnership that they have with the EI-ISAC. So it's incumbent upon both Jeff and I as leaders of our teams to deliver for those partners that we have. And uh, I certainly think that Jeff and I are both up to the challenge for that. Hope that didn't throw you on the bus there with uh, Jeff, but uh, I think we're up to it uh, as we go forward. We'll do our best. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, again, just to the both of you, thank you for all the amazing work that you've done and will continue to do. Uh, again, I'm excited to see what's next in terms of securing our, uh, our elections infrastructure. Uh, and again, a privilege to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you as well. Um, Jeff, Lou, much appreciated. I uh, hope to have you back soon. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.